I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Dream Job Ready podcast and video series. My name is Dane Sharp. I'm your host and my guest for this episode is Mark Howard better known as Howie, who's a journalist, TV presenter, successful podcaster, and one of Australia's busiest sports commentators. Please note that the opinions of guests are their own and not those of the companies they have worked for. G'day, Mark. Thank you so much for being a guest on Dream Job Ready. Um, How are you, mate? All well? Yeah, good. I won't be good, Dane, if you call me Mark throughout the podcast, because I'm going to be calling you Sharpie, so I prefer you call me Howie. I'm fantastic. Obviously, it's strange times at the moment, mate, Um, and I've seen the guests you've had on. Congratulations, because it's not easy to launch a podcast. I feel slightly intimidated because you've got some tycoons of business in the science world, so hopefully I can live up to your expectations, but I'm going well, mate. I'm going well. Awesome, mate. I got Mark out of the way early to take care of the pleasantries, but I'll go <laughs> to Howie now, buddy. Don't worry. Um, mate, the coronavirus pandemic has well and truly rocked, um, basically stopped live sport. Um, how did it all unfold for you? Because I believe at the time you were on a holiday with the family, right? Yeah, I was um, I was between sort of cricket and footy seasons, Sharpie. It's normally about a five-week gap where I try and take the family away. And we were in Guatemala and Costa Rica, of all places, having the time of our lives, climbing volcanoes, getting waves. And you started to read about it. This is in uh, late Feb, early March. We came back through LA airport. As it turned out, about a week and a half before you had to go into isolation coming through the States. And there was very little made of it. It, it was sort of page 10 of the New York Times and then we got home and the very next day after I got home I had to go and call um, a one-day international between Australia and New Zealand at the SCG and I was a bit um, unaware of what was going on and I was told the night before the Cricket Australia has decided no crowds so it was the first sport in Australia with no crowd so we called that game of cricket um, with no crowd which was absolutely bizarre and then that night there was meant to be two more games that night um, the next two games were cancelled. The following week, the footy started, called a game of that and got the halftime in the second game and threw to a press conference from Gillan McLaughlin, the head of the AFL, saying this is the last game for an indefinite period. So she was a pretty flat call of the second half. You know, Howie, um, my goal with this podcast series is to help young job seekers and students and graduates um, go and get dream job ready. So, um, yeah, that really includes sharing advice about how to get through their obstacles and navigating challenges that regularly pop up. Um, no matter how experienced you are and no matter what work you've done in the past, there's always something that comes out of left field. Um, you know, how did you deal with this kind of on the fly and you know, on live TV? Well, well, when that hit, to be completely frank, 
I like to look at the positive side of life. So my immediate thought was, well, there's time at home and there's no time getting in the car and there's no time going to the airport, which um, is a small gripe, but that is my world. You know, I spend most of my time on aeroplanes. So, so that was an aside. It was a chance to spend more time with my family. But you mentioned the podcast at the start. I thought to myself, well, I can either sit here and and read the newspaper and watch the headlines and think I'm not going to be calling footy for X weeks or am I going to be calling Australia India next summer and getting paid or I can get off my bum and do something about it. And I, I, For me, that's the key to life. When you face these situations, you can either sit down and wait for it to be delivered to you or you can get on the front foot. So I've tried to turn a negative a positive and cranked up the podcast and it's been it's been interesting because like you and I are doing this now, it's remote, so you don't have the intimacy you may like with the guest, but I've had the opportunity to get people on the podcast that I never would have because I don't need to be in the same place with them. So I've put out an episode recently with Dan Ricardo. Now, I can't spend an hour and a half with Dan Ricardo two months ago, Sharpie, but in the current COVID world where he's on his farm in WA, twiddling his thumbs for want of a better term and I'm the same at my place in Barwon Heads there's an opportunity to do it so I've just tried to take the positives out of it and have the opportunity to probably just sort of wind things back and think a little bit more without going down the hippie trail mate about what's important in life and what's not important that's sort of the way I've tried to approach it but yeah there's certainly challenges but what can you do there's no point complaining about it we're all in the same boat. Let's discuss how you went and got your dream jobs. Did you always know that you wanted to work in sports media and in commentary? I'd love to be the. Um, I'd love to tell you the story of Ray Warren, who grew up calling marbles going down his his uh, his corridor, and always wanted to do it. But th- that wasn't me at all, Sharpie. That wasn't me at all. I fell into the industry, um, but once I fell into the industry. I pretty quickly identified which part of the industry I wanted to be involved in. I got a job pulling camera cables around Grand Prix tracks as a 21-year-old traveling around the Grand Prix circuit and did that for a while and then moved into the television production. And I just looked at all the roles and I did them all, whether it was pulling the camera cables around or being someone that rolled in replays or did graphics on the screen or had a crack at assistant directing and then directing. But to me, the job that always looked like the most fun, which is what motivates me, is the guy that was in the pit lane asking Michael Schumacher the questions. And it was not not an overnight operation by any stretch. It took me years to get to that point. But So I fell into it. It's not something I had any great desire to do, but once I fell into it, I pretty quickly figured out which part of it appealed to me. How did you, how did you fall into it? How did you get that first chance? Ah, oh, mate, I was, um, I'd spent a couple of years backpacking, and I came home and I was absolutely skint and I got a job at the Grand Prix in Melbourne um, in event management, which I lied on my resume and said uh, I'd worked at the Calgary Stampede, which was a lie. I'd been to Calgary, but not when the Stampede was on. And funnily enough, the guy that gave me the job said in the interview, you know, the reason we're giving you this job is because you've had experience in events at an international event like Calgary Stampede. So... Um, as it as it was taking place in the Grand Prix, it was the 1997 Melbourne Grand Prix, so the second ever Melbourne Grand Prix, and my best mate who I travelled with, to cut a long story short, was getting married in Argentina. I was skint, I wanted to get to his wedding, and the next Grand Prix was in Argentina. So I thought to myself, if I can find the guys that organise to travel around and film this as a television production crew, maybe I can get a gig in Argentina and pay for my way, and that's what I did. I flew to to Buenos Aires uh, uh, and then to Sao Paulo and Brazil where the next two races were 
and pestered them and, and literally got a job pulling the camera cables, went to my mate's wedding. And at the end of the second Grand Prix, uh, I went up to Colombia on a bit more of a holiday because I had no job and no idea what I wanted to do to come back to. And I had to ring them and to get some money they owed me. And they said, oh, we're glad you rang. The boys said you worked hard. If you can be in Monaco in five days' time, there's a full-time job for you, but you have to move to England. So that, that, that's sort of how I fell into it. And there I was, I was a rigger pulling camera cables around Grand Prix tracks for the 1997 Grand Prix season, which was just a barrel of laughs. It was outstanding. Mate, that is gold. Um, what a story. I'm so glad I asked you that question for several reasons. First of all, the old Calgary stampede, that's epic. Um, you, know, you should never let the truth get in the way of a good story, right? Um, secondly, you know, at the crust of it, you obviously showed initiative and enthusiasm and you know, some really clever hustle. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't promote lying on your job resume, though. But Sharpie, it worked for me. So <laughs> happy days. How, how did you get your first dream job? What was your first big break? It, it, well, I, I came back after sort of three or four years of doing some some Formula One stuff. Um, there was an opportunity to do some interviewing in in Formula One and the World Rally Championship, and but they said to me, "You need to do it in an English accent." <laughs> I'm dead serious. So I had to get. Um, I had to get go to acting classes to try and learn an English accent. And for anyone that's tried to interview and anyone hasn't done it before, it's hard enough to do. But to do it in a, a fake accent didn't work. So I wasn't going anywhere there. I came home, got some work at Channel 7 and did worked on a couple of shows there where I, I, I found my way reporting. The first fellow I ever did a, a story with, um, a genuine sports story, when he was coming back to competition was Kelly Slater. He's the first... I went down to Bell's and we shot a story for a Channel 7 show and they put it to air. But Seven had employed me in, in a production role, um, producing, so there was always blocks getting onto the reporting role because I was employed to do something else. And then Channel 10, uh, two great fellows called Murray Lomax and David White rang me and said, we want you to come and work on our V8 coverage because we know you've worked on Formula 1 before. Um, we'll find some other work for you in the newsroom, which I had never done before, but basically we'll employ you as a full-time reporter. And it was like, right, so I don't have to do any presenting, uh, any producing, no directing. They said, no. Nah. So I think that was the first major break there, getting the role at Channel 10 as a full-time sports presenter, news reporter, which I was way out of my depth in because um, she's pretty strict news and pretty serious. But it was 10 that gave me the opportunity. Mate, I've always rated you as a great people person, and I think that really comes through when you're on camera. Um, is that sort of skill something that you've always had or, or a skill that you've had to develop over time? No, it's almost like it's a really good question. It's almost, and my wife asked me this, I'm, um, without going too far, I'm a reasonably reserved person. Um, I, I... Uh, I don't feel comfortable walking into a room of people I don't know generally in a social situation. I love having my wife there and she, she'll guide me through it. But it, it's my dad I've always seen he's very good in those situations where he can talk to anyone. So I probably have always saw it from him. And it, it's like it's like you're almost two people. And I wish I could be more learn to be more like this in my normal life as well where um, you're just trying to make people feel good and make people relax. I think that's the key to any interview. So I think I learned that pretty quickly that a smile and some real genuine interest um, in someone goes a long way. And I, I guess that's what I started doing at the start with the surfers down there and not trying to pretend that you know a million things about their sport. Like it's not, it, it's, it's not a ridiculous question to talk to a surfer and say, how do you do this or what does this mean? Because 
that's better than trying to bluff your way through it and them thinking, oh, this knob doesn't know what he's talking about. One of the major perks of your dream job is obviously getting the chance to meet and interview some of the world's greatest athletes. You've taken the mic to plenty uh, on live TV and interviewed you know, hundreds on your podcast now, mate. What's your favourite interview you've done? Lots of them for many different reasons. I think the one that entertained me the most was Luke Longley um, because he had amazing stories about playing in a three-peat with the Bulls and training with Michael Jordan and what Jordan was like and, and his drive for perfection and, and the craziness of being in a in a, a jet with Rodman and, and Pippen and Jordan and playing cards and Rodman being dressed up. And you know, he tells stories about the Bulls in their heyday Sharpie where it was so big when they checked into hotels, they had to check in under assumed names. So he would, Luke Longley would check in as Norman Gunston, which I found outstanding. So I I loved him. Um, I love the cricketers. I, I love the, the honesty and the rawness of Ricky Ponting. But I think the thing about podcasting, which you'll be beginning to discover, working in mainstream media, you're always a couple of minutes away from a song on radio or an ad break or in television, a producer saying, we need to move on to this. Whereas I can sit here and talk to you with no outside influence, no structure and no ads, no songs. You can just talk, um, and I love to talk and find out things about people. So that's why, to me, the podcasting is my favourite part of the job at the moment because to sit there and talk to Dan Ricardo for an hour and a half about Formula One or to Kathy Freeman about what was that moment like in Sydney, tell me about the pressure you felt, or to Grant Hackett talking about anything that wasn't a gold medal he thought was a disgusting, in his word, failure, to talk to these people you grew up watching for a long period of time, just having a chat. It's like chatting away over a beer. It's um, When you say dream job, to me, that is that is the dream job. And it's a privilege to chat with, you know, 90 people that have had a massive influence on me and through their sport and influence on a generation of people. It's, it's cool, mate. It's really, it's really cool. Talking about cool, you're arguably Australia's busiest cricket commentator right now. And you get to take to the telly with people like Shane Warne and Mark Waugh. Um, mate, you still must scratch your head sometimes and wonder... How'd you get that opportunity, right? Um, you know, how did you get that dream job? Yeah, constantly it is. That is the dream job. If you told me, so this is, you know, this is a 20-year journey we're talking about. If you told me 10 years ago that I'd be a cricket commentator, I said, well, I just don't see how that's going to happen. Um, I was working at 10 when they got the rights to the Big Bash. Now, 10 had never had cricket before, so that that's a one in a 1,000 opportunity. Um, Lachlan Murdoch paid 20 million bucks for it over five years, which was seen as a lot of money at the time, but in retrospect was one of, one of the great deals, um, 20 mil a year. And I said to my boss at the time, David Barham, who knew I loved cricket, it's always been my passion. I grew up like a lot of kids listening to Bill and Richie and Tony and playing backyard cricket and playing a lot of cricket. I love cricket. I still love it now. You know, I've been with my young fella in the in the garden this afternoon in isolation playing cricket. Um, and I, now I get to watch him and I love watching him play and have a crack at it and learning all the things I did. So I asked my boss, you know, I'd love a role on the cricket. Um, and all honestly I was thinking was possibly on the boundary, etc. cetera, um, doing interviews. And he said, well, where do you see the role? And I thought, I might as well say it. I said, oh, I wouldn't mind commentating on it. He's like, righto, how do you think you'd go? I said, I don't know. So the very first time I tried it was Ricky Ponting, 
who I'd never met, came into the Channel 10 studio. Security introduced him, Sharpie. Ten had never had cricket. They signed Ricky Ponting, who's gone out on a limb because it was choosing between 10 or 9. He chose 10, and security introduced him. Oh, boys, here's Rocky Ponting. I was like, oh, how's this going to go? So I sit down next to Rocky Ponting, and we we get showed some vision, and we have to commentate it. And, mate, I'm, I'm packing myself. Oh, I'm a, I'm a park cricketer, and there is Ricky Ponting, who's gone on to prove himself as the best analyst in world cricket for mine. So we had a couple of run-throughs, and then the boss said, well, you have a few games, we'll see how we go. And he rang me the day before the first game, and he said, I've changed the roster. You're doing it alongside, I think it was Ponting and Gilchrist. Channel 10's never done cricket before. And I can clearly remember the bowler at the top of the mark. And I'm thinking to myself, I know cricket. I know the game inside out. But what is going to happen when this bloke lets the ball go? What's going to pop out of your mouth? And at that stage, you just have to rely on your experience and cross your fingers. Um, And I wasn't very good at the start. Um, but I, I had several approaches, and a lot of help with my boss about what's important, which we can talk about. But that's how I got into cricket, started calling the Big Bash. Um, and since then, it's, you know, like you say, but I spent the summer with Wazim Akram, Ian Smith, Shane Warne, Michael Vaughan, Adam Gilchrist, Isha Gua, Mel Jones, Kerry O'Keefe, talking cricket on the television. And then when you're not doing your stint, you're sitting out the back having a pie, talking cricket. And then at the end of the day, you go out for dinner and you talk cricket. It's like, how bloody good is this? It is like winning the summer job competition on the back of the Coke can every single day. It really is. It's obvious that throughout your career, Howie, you've really used your experience to take advantage of every opportunity that's come your way. Um, you know, What's the most important element to getting and taking the types of chances you have? Yeah, it is. And once you get in the position, I think the most important role for people that are listening to this that want to get involved in the media is it's like any sporting team. You've got to understand your role and play your role. So I've always really been cognizant of what my role is. So I I have not played a game of cricket for my state or my country. So my job is not to offer an opinion. My job is not to say Virat Kohli has a disappointing shot outside of stump. And I hear that from people in my position. I think, why are you saying that? My job is to say Kohli nicks it, he's gone, and then shut up and let Shane or Gilly or Michael Vaughan explain what he did wrong. So you've got to know your role. And it was set to me from my great boss at Channel 10, David Barham, who's a star. He said... You need to make Australia fall in love with these guys. Ponting, Gilchrist, Fleming, War. Because we don't know them. We know Ricky Ponting as a tough, hard man that wore his helmet and hooked off his nose and was belligerent and bloody and bruised and wouldn't give it an inch. We've got to know him over the first couple of months of getting ready for this. We know that he loves a beer and loves his family and loves betting on the greyhounds and loves playing golf. Your role is to show the people of Australia that he's a funny man, that he loves a beer, that he's just like them, that after a while we'll go and sing songs about Mark War and the Barmy Army on air. 
So don't overstep your role. Don't think that people are watching because of you because they're not. They're watching because of Ricky. So make Ricky or Gilly or whoever it is you're sitting beside look as good as possible. And I've tried to do that the whole way through. Don't ever think that you're the main man because in my role, I'm not. I'm just the one facilitating and trying to give the true stars of the show the best opportunity to look as good as possible. And as soon as you go outside your tram lines and lose an understanding of your role, you're going to get hit by a bus and most likely lose lose your job in our industry. That's great advice, mate. I think there's something in that for everyone. Um, you know, you can't do it alone. And when you're in a role, you're typically, you know, you've got experts and specialists, um, you know, at arm's reach that it will help you succeed if you connect with them the right way. Um, in your case, you've got, you know, the greatest athletes on either side. So, um, you know, the more you throw to them, the better, right? Well, 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 who would have the arrogance to think the audience would care what I thought when I've got Shane Warne, the greatest, you know, top five wisdom cricketer of the 20th century, and a man that changed the game on my other side, Adam Gilchrist, is a wicket keeper batsman. Why, in my wildest dreams, would I think someone would care about the opinion of a park cricketer from country Victoria? It's just, you've just got to understand where you fit in. Um, but just as far as when you're given the opportunity, I think you just got to say yes along the way. Like, mate, I have done, I have covered, I've covered every sport you could imagine. Yeah, you know, I've, I've covered sports. I've covered tractor pulls and Red Bull air races and tennis that I don't know a great deal about. I've been on-course commentator for golf and every sport you can imagine, commentator triathlon. Like, I think across anything you do as a young person, all you want to do is when your boss says, can you do this for me, just say yes. It doesn't matter. They could be asking you to leap a 10-foot pole. you got no idea how to do it. But go away and ask someone that knows how to do it. Come back and show them you've left the pole for, for the analogy. I think it's so important never to say no. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. 
Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I couldn't agree more. You have to say yes to opportunities. Um, like, why say no? Um, but here's one thing for you. One thing I've picked up uh, in doing this podcast, speaking with guests and also students that listen, is um, you know, one of the big reasons why people often shy away from new opportunities or close themselves to them in the first place uh, is fear of failure. Um, what advice can you share to someone to help overcome that? Um, you know, have you failed at anything in the past that you can share? Oh, oh mate, how long you got? Like... Like seriously, how long have you got? I, 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 uh, Red Bull Air Racing. I was told that a bloke that just become world champion that had been chasing his dream for fifteen years never got it. I announced on air, congratulations, you're the Red Bull Air Racing world champion. He's in tears, thinking his mother back at home is on a hospital bed. A minute later, the producer says to me, "We've got the calculations wrong. He's not world champion. You need to tell him." So, you know, I've I've told swimmers congratulations on the gold, and they're like, "Yeah, mate, I came seventh. Like. I can't begin to tell you the amount of things I've cocked up. And early doors, they sat with me. Mate, I, I've stuffed that many things up. It's not funny. But what I've learned, and it still gets me now on test cricket, is if I make the slightest error on test cricket, I still think, ah, because I love it so much, that's going to be there forever. So if someone scores 100 or gets a five for you, you want to get that moment right because you're going to be replaying it on YouTube for 20 years. But when you get it wrong, which as I said, I've done countless times, or when you hit failure, you've just got to put it in a little box, package it up and just throw it away because I don't, whether it's my job or your job or you're an accountant or a lawyer, it, we're all going to make mistakes. And sometimes there'll be big mistakes. Um, none of those professions have I mentioned. It's different. Like my sister's an emergency doctor. Her mistakes have enormous ramifications. My mistakes will cause my social media to blow up and everyone tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. But I can deal with that because I can just throw it away behind me. So as well as saying, yes, you will get yourself into positions where you will get things wrong. But, you know, does it really matter? Like, as long as you learn from it and don't repeat the mistake, does it really matter that you declare the wrong bloke the, the champion or, you know, say that Warner's taken the catch when Smith takes the catch? It matters for 10 seconds for people that hate on social media, but it doesn't matter in the long run. As, you, as long as you front up the next day and have another crack, so just put it behind you. Put it behind you. That's really good advice, mate. I completely agree. Um, and I appreciate you sharing some of your Friday fail stories as well. I hope you haven't embarrassed yourself there, but um, you've just made me remember uh, one of mine, uh, one of few, um, but it was back in, uh, back when I was at Rip Curl, would have been about 2011, we were in San Francisco for the Rip Curl Pro Search event. Um, the greatest to ever do it, Kelly Slater, was on the eve of winning another world title. Uh, and back then, the, the maths behind the world tour rankings and surfing was super complicated. Um, and I don't want to dob him in, but Renata Hickel, who was the tour manager, came running up to the booth just as, about, just as Kelly was about to win the heat and was kind of like, I've worked out the maths, this is it, Kelly's won another world title. Yeah. So, you know, swept up in hysteria, we announced it to the beach, we announced it to the webcast and to the world, you know, Kelly Slater, 11-time world champion, congratulations. Um, it was actually Kelly that came up to us after the heat 
who's brilliant uh, when it comes to you know knowing stats and knowing you know the facts and figures of what he needs to do in a heat or a world title run. Um, <laughs> and it was him that was like, no, guys, that's not right. I haven't won yet. You know, I won the heat, but I've got to win another one to go on and win the world title. <laughs> um, we literally sunk down into our chairs. Um, you know, we we trusted the king. We deferred to the judges and, and back to Renato, and um, you know it was a shocker. Um, that's right. Yeah, that's headline, right. It was. Yeah, it was, mate. Headline news. Um, you know, I'm not really the one to blame, but I'm the one with the mic, and I'm the one that you know kind of announced it. And uh, yeah, we probably should have been across the facts, but um, it's funny now. But there's several things that you know you can't do when you work in media, right? You you can't stuff up people's names. So poor old um, you know Rocky Ponting, whoever called Ricky that, that's just a shocker. Um, and you should never claim someone a winner or a champion before it's uh, before it's on and that made headlines that was kelly's 11th and then the next day it was like slater announces this is not my 11 yeah that's a decent cock up sharpie yeah. well it wasn't stretch. me mate <laughs> mate let's change gears for a minute let's talk about uh, another amazing part of your dream job commentating the afl you know the australian football league how good is that the footy is completely different to cricket because Cricket, you have have a split second, you have a moment, you have a, a period in time, especially during a test match, to sometimes think about what you're going to say, which is not always a benefit, but it's a more reserved commentary. The footy is you are out on a wire and you're literally saying what you see. So there's no time to second guess yourself or think about it. I started on the footy on a boundary on the boundary for Channel Ten, um, and. Uh, the very first game I did was we're talking about stuff ups Hawthorne versus West Coast in Tasmania I'm a Hawthorne fan for those that follow AFL there's a fellow playing for West Coast called Ashley Hansen who hurt his finger in a marking contest so as the boundary rider you're meant to be filling in what's going on down there a bit of medical information Um, my only claim to any medical fame as I said my my sister's a doctor so uh, Hansen he's hurt his finger strapped it up he should be fine you'd imagine he'll be on in the third quarter he missed 11 games with a finger injury. Lost his arm. And I said he'd be on in the next quarter. He did. He did. He was just about lost his arm. So it was an inauspicious debut as well. But but footy has allowed me to get into radio commentary. Um, I get to call on Triple M, which is really loose and fun on a Friday and a Sunday. And I miss it. I miss it at the moment because it's a form of commentary where you're going to, to work with your mates who, in this situation, are legends of the game. Chris Judd, Luke Darcy. Um, Wayne Carey, um, Ross Lyon now at Triple M. Um, and you're just chatting about footy like blokes in a pub watching the footy. And then, you know, Dane Sharp takes a hanger. It's just like, you know, Sharp! Like, it's just it's just fun. It's just fun. So calling the footy open the door to the radio world for me, which is thongs, shorts, don't shave, have more fun than TV, so as much as I love the footy, I love the opportunity that's given me in the world of radio because it's, it's a different form of broadcasting. Um, and when you call on the footy and it's a final and there's 90,000 at the MCG and the crowd is coming through your ears, it's genuinely exciting. Like it, it is an exciting thing to do. Oh, mate, it must be such a rush. I, I can't even imagine it. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you though, you, you can't hide when you're live on TV or on the radio. Um, how do you get yourself up for every match or, or every interview you do? Um, you know, we all have flat days or bad days, days where we don't want to go to work. Um, you know, what advice would you share for people coming into the industry? Gee, that's a good question. That's the best question you've asked me. I, I was only thinking about this um, a couple of weeks ago. 
it's a hard one to answer because you might have um, one of your kids might be crook, or um, you might have had a disagreement with your wife, or something might have happened to a close friend. And I would drive to work knowing that I just didn't feel right to be because I've always looked at sports broadcasting as sport but entertainment. Like, mate, anyone that sees it differently, I. I I don't quite get. So you can watch the footy now or the cricket or you can watch Netflix and they are in direct competition. Don't 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 matter what anyone tells you. They're in direct competition. There's so much entertainment out there or Stan or Foxtel. So you're in the entertainment business. So I always think broadcasters and the broadcasters I love are the entertainers, Brian Taylor, James Brayshaw. Um, that's why I love Bill and Tony because they are entertainers. So we're in the entertainment game. So if you're going to work and you feel a bit flat, as you say, it's hard to make that link to get out there and try and entertain. And I struggle with that. I'm normally pretty happy, but some days you just go to work and you just flat for whatever reason. You haven't got out of bed the right way. And I think um, probably until the last year and a half that you would be able to pick that in my commentary. I think in the last year and a half, I've just compartmentalized it. Um, probably from doing the podcasts, talking to the athletes, saying when it's time to go, it's time to go, and their mental processes to make sure they were ready to fire. I think you have certain triggers in your mind, just simple things like when you're about to start talking, just smile. I'm not smiling now, and I am smiling now, Sharpie, and you can just, just, you just hear the difference in my voice with a straight face here to now I'm smiling, thinking about a good moment. Automatically, your voice lifts, so I think it's just switching your your mental position where you are and making sure you're happy. Yeah, that's definitely true, mate. It doesn't matter who you work for or what job you do. Um, you know, even Superman has his down days. Everyone's going to have flat days at work, aren't they? Like it's just, it's just natural. I'm looking for some more insights from you here, mate. If a young reporter you know, has potential or you know, is on the verge of having that it factor, um, how, how do they succeed? I'll give you an example of a, of a fellow I hadn't worked before who's really, really established, but I haven't worked with him before, called Corbin Middlemass. He's a star on the ABC. He's a beautiful caller of sport. I'd never worked with him before, and at the start of last summer, we were doing some 50-over um, domestic cricket together, and Mark War is he's a funny, funny man with a quirky sense of humour, but he doesn't suffer fools. And you need to prove yourself to him. And Corby came in there and he was knowledgeable. He knew the game inside out, but he didn't try and get that across in his commentary. If he needed to, he'd make a statement where everyone would know, geez, he knows this inside out, but he would leave it up to the expert. He was respectful. He didn't come in there and try and take over or show up the experts in commentary. And he was but you, you were talking about originally dealing with a surface, just really warm and friendly and approachable and willing to take on advice. And, and there, I reckon they're the keys. And, and I walked away um, after, I've never told him this, and I should. I think you should tell people. My wife tells me that. If, if, you, if you think someone looks nice in a dress, tell them. Or if you think, you know, the, the next door neighbor's done a good job with the garden, tell them. And I should have told Corby. He, he to me, walked into that environment and he just nailed it from the start. And I remember ringing the boss and I said, hey, mate, this bloke I work with today called Middlemass, he's a star, mate, this bloke. And everyone loved him and he got on with everyone. And I think in sports broadcasting, you spend so much time away on planes, at airports, in hotels. If you're a 
stone in the shoe of the operation, it wears thin pretty quickly. If you're just happy and warm and friendly and fit in, it it, it makes... There's broadcasters that are better at their job but are a little bit prickly that don't get the opportunities that broadcasters that might not be as good but are warm and friendly and part of a team and play their role, which we're talking about, that'll get far more opportunities. I don't even know if I've answered your question there, mate, and I hope I haven't embarrassed Corby, but he just hit me as a bloke doing all the right things, stepping in already as a professional but stepping into a new organisation. Righto, Howie, time for the million-dollar question. How does someone get into the industry? How does someone go on to get Mark Howard's job in the future? In some ways, there's no tougher time. Like you look at the financial situation of media networks at the moment, she's pretty dire. Um, she's pretty dire. I haven't checked if I got paid this month, but she's pretty dire. <laughs> um, but there will always be live sport and it will always draw an audience. So to me, it doesn't matter what platform it will be on. It'll be on all sorts of different platforms. There's still a role, in fact, probably more roles for presenters, commentators, reporters, hosts, journalists across a wide variety of platforms but the tools that you have now, the, that generation below, two, three generations, we're getting old now, Sharpie, for them to display what they do has never been greater. Like when I started, if you wanted to show the someone that you could be a reporter, you had to go and do an interview with Kelly Slater and get it on air. Nowadays, you can do your own podcast and learn about how to interview people and how to promote it, which is the most important thing in podcasting because there's so many out there. You can write a blog every single day if you want to about footy or cricket or tennis or lawn bowls. You can upload your own commentary or television show through two iPhones and YouTube every single day. You can have your daily sports show. So you can do all these things you know, you, you can have your own radio show with the technology is there. So how do I get involved? Use the technology that is at your disposal and get yourself out there and then show it to people. So you, you want to be a, um, a a radio host revolving around sport. Have you got any experience? No, but I've got 60 episodes of my own radio show here. Would you like to listen to those? Wow, that's pretty cool. Um Mate, there's gee, the technology, there's some opportunities there to, to tell your story that you want to tell to a mainstream audience, to a smaller audience at the start. Mate, you've shared a lot of value there, um, you know, huge advice. And you've really hit home throughout this whole episode on, you know, saying yes to opportunity. It's something you've done and it's, it's really worked out for you. Um, but you also need to kind of create these opportunities, right? You need to get out there, you need to do it, you need to show people, um, you know, build your experience. Um, right, it's time to let someone else ask you a question, mate. Uh, we do a student question every episode. Uh, it's always the best bit, better questions than I got. Uh, and today's is a doozy. Um, so this question is from James. And James asks, what's the biggest setback you've had in your career and why was that good for you? Yeah, the one that's hit me hardest, I had to do it in a different language. And it was the Swedish rally. Um, because Bernie Eccleston had started doing rally as well as Formula One. And the first person I had to interview was Colin McRae, who's unfortunately passed away, a rally driver. It's minus 25 in Sweden. And I asked him this question in this ridiculous accent that doesn't sound English. The tape goes back, the big boss watches it, and he calls me back to base. And there was three more days in Sweden. He said, you will never, you will never do this again for this company. 
um, you know, spend the next three days carrying the camera cables around. And I, I was just that flat about it. And he called me. I went and saw him and he's like, listen, you know, you're employed for this. There's no opportunities for you to do this here. And he actually said to me at the time, which is funny from the role you come from, he's a great man, Eddie Baker, this fellow's name was. He said, if this company and Bernie Eccleston ever decides to sign up surfing, because he just knew me as this bloke from Australia with long blonde hair, then you're a chance to commentate on this. But while we're doing Formula One and rally to a European audience, you will never, ever work on camera in this. And that flattened me sharply. That really flattened me, which is in the end why I I left and and went for greener pastures. So it was James, wasn't it? Um, Uh, Yep, James. Yeah, that was a pretty big kick in the teeth. Why was it good? Just to finish that off as the second part of yeah, this question. It, it was good because otherwise uh, I would, 20 years later, have spent another X years working on the Grand Prix circuit and become a television director, which I wasn't too bad at. And it would have been a good job. And it would have been one of those ones where your mates say, oh, that's pretty cool. You travel around and you get to direct Formula One. And every time I was directing a race and cutting to the guy interviewing Lewis Hamilton, I would have been going, geez, I wish I was that guy. So I guess I wouldn't have been that happy with my job. So Eddie Baker, thank you. Thank you. It all worked out the way it should, mate. Um, Howie, thank you so much for your time today. Um, Awesome to have you as a guest on Dream Job Ready. You know, your podcast royalty yourself. Um, I've learned a lot. I'm sure anyone listening is going to learn a lot, and I really appreciate your time. Hey, good on you, Sharpie. Um, without being silly, I'm proud that you started up your podcast, mate. I know that you're passionate about it. It'll be a tremendous success. I hope your listeners haven't got disappointed after the level of guests you've had on um, and it can provide them with some information. But, mate, I, I've really enjoyed chatting with you um, and I hope to see you in person soon and we get through this situation we're in and get out of isolation and can get back there and get some sport rolling. Good on you, mate. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Howie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 